This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thank you so much for joining us again. There is really a lot going on in some high-profile ministries right now. Lots to talk about. Yesterday, we talked about megachurch pastor Andy Stanley saying that he's embarrassed by those churches who sought legal remedies against the government to reopen their buildings amid the COVID-19 tyranny. Pastor John MacArthur recently remarked that he wouldn't fight for religious freedom because he said, I won't fight for idolatry. And Ravi Zacharias's daughter said his international ministry will be removing all his con- Content from its archives and also changing its name in the wake of its findings about the late apologist's sexual scandal. So we're going to talk today with Shane Eidelman, founder and lead pastor of Westside Christian Fellowship in California. He's been tracking all these stories and he is writing about them too over at his blog, ShaneEidelman.com. And he joins us now. Shane, so good to welcome you back. How are you doing? Good, Janet. It is great to be back. And you're right, there is a lot going on. There I is. Think you missed you missed the story about the man who is on leave because he said, "Why well, should lose weight and look like Melina or Melania Trump?" And oh yeah, he was kind of. I, I laughed at that one. I actually thought that one was pretty comical. I thought they were really milking that one in the media too, where he they said sure women need to take care of themselves after they get married. And I said, "Okay, well that's fine, but let him get pregnant a few times and see how he is able to manage his eighteen-year-old figure. It's not as easy yes. as you might think." But totally agree. Yeah, that was kind of a funny thing. You wrote a couple of articles on this issue of why you disagree in particular with Andy Stanley and John MacArthur. I want to talk about the Andy Stanley thing first, because he had made these comments that these churches who have fought these COVID-19 restrictions abandoned the mission for the sake of the model. As many people know, Andy Stanley closed down his church for the entire year of 2020. He's been, I think his theology is all over the map on this. What What's your take on, on Andy Stanley's comments about being embarrassed about churches that have gone to bad? legally in order to remain open. It, it, it's so hard, to because you wish you could talk to them and see where they're coming from. And I think it's important for listeners to know, I don't have the gift of, of criticism. I mean, it's not something I get up and look forward to. I mean, I should be critiqued if I say something nationally that is, is off, and that's what iron sharpening iron is. Yep. I, and I think what happens in a lot of these cases, even with John MacArthur's statement, someone, I use a study Bible, I'm an hour from him, we all respect him, you know, but to say... You know, it's, it, it's, it's not worth fighting for religious freedom. So in the, what I'm, where I'm getting at with, with Andy, I think, is they say things, and it really throws all of us under the bus. So I don't know if he's talking about maybe some rebellious churches in his area, meaning they have a renegade spirit of rebellion, there's not a lot of humility, and, and that's what he's speaking to. I really don't know, but you have to assume he's talking to churches in general. And, and here in my area, Jack Hibbs, you know, John MacArthur, Rob McCoy, our own church, we have been opening, and we're, so what ha, what is happening, I think, is these, and I'm just going to be honest, is a lot of these pastors are convicted, and they're, why are we, why are they opening, and, and they get convicted by this, their members are pressing them, however, you know, what he said here is, you know, what what's the urgency, well, we're not, we're a year into this, 
we see all the shenanigans, we see the false numbers, we see the narratives, we see the flu and pneumonia now disappearing, we see the agenda to close the churches, but uh, people can protest, and so we see all the inconsistencies, so I think this is where the church actually needs to step up and be that, what is the fruit of the Spirit? Boldness, to be that bold light, so uh, we can dig into a little bit more, but that's my general thought. Well, what I find interesting, too, you brought up an important point, the the hypocrisy of some of these COVID-19 tyrants when they're allowing abortion clinics and liquor stores to stay open. They allow leftist activists to hit the streets when everybody else was locked down and masked up to their eyeballs. Uh, But those people can run freely as long as they are on the right side of the political aisle. But, you know, this issue of being embarrassed by churches, I'm not really sure how he could possibly be embarrassed. It was embarrassing to him as a Christian. What is embarrassing about wanting to get back into church and wanting to bring together the saints, especially at a time when people are struggling so strongly with issues like depression and people committing suicide. I mean, there needs to be that in-person care for the flock, right, Shane? I mean, that's part of what was driving you to reopen. Oh, absolutely. Well, it, not only is that, it was when you spend time with God and you're praying and you're fasting, you're seeking His will. I don't think He wants us sitting at home watching Netflix all night do, filming a video every right, day. Right, right. I right. mean, especially, what is the definition of a pandemic? We're not even in a pandemic. If you look at the death rate, you know, and America has dealt with everything from smallpox to, to many viruses and since 1620s. You can look back and how the church handled it. And, and But this word embarrassed is interesting because I'm finding that it's from a lot of these liberal-leaning churches that are, yeah, I mean, he often, you know, he'd make comments about the Old Testament, yep. you know, Jesus, you know, these hard things, the repentance, the blood of Christ, the judgment, the wrath of God, the fear of God, you don't hear them talking about those types of things. So, a church here locally said the same thing about me. They said, actually, I'm hurting the gospel when I was taking my strong stance for uh, godly leaders. And really? For the next president. And that I'm hurting the gospel by doing these things. And so I think they're embarrassed because, well, they use the word embarrassed, is because we're not representing their definition of a Christian. So they are embarrassed. And I guarantee these are not, and I'm going to say this with them, as much humility as I can muster, these are not men filled with the Spirit of God, filled with boldness and prayer and righteousness. It's just, it's a capitulating culture. Right. And so that's why they're embarrassed. I actually believe they're convicted. They're oh, yeah. They're convicted. Or at least what- getting, they are at least getting pressure from people outside their church or people within their church. Andy Stanley seemed to indicate that there were people inside his church who questioned his decision to shut down the church for the calendar year of 2020. So maybe that's a little bit of it, too. But I just find it odd because, you know, on the one hand, I'm fine with Andy Stanley keeping his church closed. <laughs> I really oh, am. Yeah, if he wants to do it, for sure. <laughs> if he wants to do it, for sure, for, for numerous reasons, I have no problem with it. But but on the other hand, to paint with this broad brush that churches are embarrassing if they stand up for their rights. You mentioned some really good reasons. But for example, you remember in the early days of the pandemic, Shane, where you had a church, I think it was in Kentucky, that was trying to have a drive-in service. And you had cops showing up, issuing tickets to these Christians sitting in their cars, uh, most of whom, if I'm recalling correctly, were mad masked up, that is not something that they were doing to other sorts of gatherings. And, and it just wasn't unfair. It's as if the idea is whatever they do 
to the church that is a violation of maybe local ordinances or maybe the Constitution. We should just take it. But other entities that are experiencing that kind of oppression, they should fight for their rights. How do you come down on that issue that the, that Christians who are citizens of this country cannot go to the Constitution and go to a court and say, hey, what the government is doing to me is not allowed under our Constitution? Well, it's important to know Paul did that. I appeal to Caesar. Uh, you know, and there, that's why the legal, I mean, if you look at Romans 13, what the whole point, the institution of government ordained by God is to be a terror to those who do evil. Yes. <laughs> if you do evil, be afraid, because the government doesn't bear that sword in vain. And, um, and people have told me, this is interesting you said that, you know, Shane, it's not about our rights, and sometimes the Christians, you know, we need to put our rights to the side, we need to just, you know, love our enemies and just... You know, that kind of that whole, I don't know, turn the other cheek uh, type of, of, of approach to the government. Interestingly, Jesus didn't turn the other cheek when he was struck. Right. He confronted the man. Why have you struck me? And right. he confronted him. So, yeah. But I think what we're missing here, a lot of people are missing, is, yes, our posture is to obey the government. That's our heart when it's, when it's reasonable and when it doesn't go against God's word. And we all did that. We all shut down, every single one of us, until you started to see the agenda behind it. You started to see the truth behind what was really happening. And so that's what I think you're seeing is this, this, this capitulating to the government. Let's just listen to the government at what, at, what, at what extent when they say, okay, Andy, now you can't read the Bible. Well, come on, let's just capitulate. Well, now you can't bring your Bible. Now you can't have a Bible. I mean, at some point, you have to stand up and say, okay, hold on. We're on a slippery slope here. We need to yeah. come back. So I think that's important for me is for listeners to know the church's opening are not doing in a spirit of rebellion. We have fasted. We have prayed. We're seeking the heart of God. And there comes a time and a place where we need to be that bold voice of truth. And what cracks me up is, I don't know if you saw this comment, Andy said, uh, the thing that has been concerning to me about the local church is how quickly, how quickly so many local churches feel like we've got to get back into our building. Oh, my word. You know what? Hang on, Shane. we got to pause for a quick break. We'll, We'll talk about that on the other side of the break. Shane Eidelman with us. We'll be back on Janet Meffer today. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. On a 100-degree day in Ethiopia, Africa, hundreds gathered for Sunday worship outdoors, and some walked an hour to be there. Afterward, Cademan frantically copied scriptures from an old Bible to a piece of paper. Then his face turned sad as he closed the Bible and handed it back to his owner, one of only a few in that church to have a Bible. You see, Cademan loves the Lord, leads his family, and is faithful at Sunday worship, but he's never read a single verse in his own Bible because he doesn't own one. Whoever comes our way and is able to give us a Bible, it will be a great blessing. We're partnering with Bible League International to send Bibles to 1,500 new believers in Africa. $5 sends one Bible, $50 sends 10, and every gift given right now will be doubled. Call 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Call now, 800-YES-WORD. 
Hi, this is Janet Mefford. If you're in need of a new health care program, but you missed the open enrollment deadline in December, it's not too late. A special enrollment period is taking place now through May 15th. During this time, you can enroll in the health care program of your choice without the need for a qualifying event. This means you can now enroll in a health care sharing program from Liberty HealthShare with memberships for individuals, couples, and families. You can find a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Plus, you really can choose the doctor and hospital of your choice. Best of all, membership options start for as low as $199 a month. More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their health care needs. What are you waiting for? Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. There is a lot to talk about. A lot of high-profile ministry news going on right now. We're checking it out with Shane Eidelman, founder and lead pastor of Westside Christian Fellowship in California. We're discussing some of this fallout from the Andy Stanley story where he says he's embarrassed by churches that sued and engaged in a spitting match with local governments over COVID-19 restrictions. Shane, pick it up where we had to leave off there because he was making a comment about churches opening quickly. Um, That was a year ago that we were shut down. Yeah, in his statement, he said, the thing that has been concerning to me, Andy Stanley speaking here, about local churches, so maybe churches in his area, is how quickly so many local churches feel like we've got to get back in our building, shoulder to shoulder, doing what we've always done. And I, I literally laughed out loud. I mean, he, is he right? Is he saying this in March of 2020? Yeah. No, we're March of 2021. Yes, yes. I mean, we, we've, the, uh, it was even the World Health Organization said the United States, the lockdowns have been tied to increased thoughts of suicides from children, drug overdose, upticks in domestic violence. And they said, they said this, not me, this anxiety and these lockdowns could destroy seven times the years of life that the lockdowns have potentially saved. So what about, I would say, Andy, loving those neighbors? What about, because see, here's, and it does boil down to fear. I mean, I've had people actually, you know, leave our church or get upset at me for saying this, but the majority of this is fear. People are feared to meet their maker. Yes. They're fear if they don't want to die. They're not walking with the Lord. When you are walking with the Lord, you don't fear death. You don't fear a virus. Now, I don't want to get sick. I don't want my kids to get sick. I don't want people in our church to get sick. I want to take precautions if we can, if we know somebody's sick. But to live in a bubble that doesn't allow us to do what God has called us to do, to step back and capitulate to the government who clearly has an agenda, and and I I just don't see that. What would Martin Luther say, or Swingley, or Calvin, or Mm -hmm. Knox, and the Reformers, John Huss, and and, uh, Tyndale, and I mean, these guys, they paved the road for us. You're right. It's just just shocking, really, to have them come out and say this. Now, like you said, if you want to stay shut... Stay shut. That's yeah. your own conviction. I mean, maybe there's, let's say he's got thousands of people, and there's a hot spot, and people are getting sick, and then the hospitals are overcrowded. Yeah, okay, shut down for a little while and get that adjusted. We actually talked about that. Our hospital was full at capacity in Southern California, and Samaritan's Purse came in. Franklin Graham came to our town. They built a Samaritan Purse hospital inside the parking lot. Nice. So our elders, we sought God. We're like, okay, we don't want to, we don't want to, the hospital's already, you know, that's something you do want to watch for. People who actually need help are denied help because, but I talked to nurses in those hotspots. They said, Shane, half these people don't need to be here. They're here because of fear. Yeah, because that's of what part the of the media problem. is doing. So they send them home. So you start to think, okay, 
you know, we've got to use wisdom here. Well, we do. And I want to transition. I, I know we have a couple of other things we're going to try to hit in this interview, and I don't want to run out of time. So I want to go to another uh, issue that's come to the fore. John MacArthur, you mentioned before, very well loved, very well respected across the country. But he made an argument recently that he sees the promotion of religious freedom as promoting idolatry because you end up in the position of fighting for the freedom, I guess, for pagans to practice false religions. But more than that, he said Christianity advances whether there is religious freedom or not. Yet he also has been fighting, he and his church, to keep his church open during COVID-19. So certainly he is concerned about religious freedom for the church. Uh, what, what is your reaction to these comments? Well, it, it was pretty odd because, like what you just said, he has been a uh, just a, a strong example of staying open here in California. I'm, I'm an hour from him, like I said. And then uh, to come out and say, you know, we don't need to fight for the religious freedom. So what I said earlier, I don't know if people caught it, but is getting these, we have to start saying things in context. Right. And what is, what do you mean by that, Pastor John? Where, where are you going with this? Because the men and women who gave their lives for the freedoms we now enjoy fought and died for religious freedom. True. And in fighting for religious freedom, let's be honest, those other religions are not under attack. It's Christianity. It's the name of Christ. It's the gospel. Why, when I go to L.A. County uh, Board Supervisors meetings a few years ago, they said, I can pray in any name, but not Jesus. Don't oh. mention Jesus. <laughs> and I prayed in Jesus' name, and will never been, never been asked back again, Good. of course. Good. But why, why are, you know, so this is not about, you know, uh, Muslims and Hindu and different things. This is about silencing the gospel punishing Christians and churches, and I think we are given that platform and that voice to be able to, to, to be that beacon of light. And I don't think the persecuted church, if you ask them, sure, persecution can be a blessing. I understand that. We can become too comfortable. But most persecuted Christians um, would, would love more religious freedom sure. to express their... So I, I think the only reason I wrote the article, again, I respect him. Who am I to say anything? But I think people have to understand, no, religious freedom is worth fighting for. That's what we're doing. So I don't know if it was taken out of context. I don't know his heart behind it. But I think what he was saying is, let's not promote religious freedom, because in doing so, we're going to promote other religions. And that's why I included Spurgeon's quote, that the Word of God is like a lion. Just let it out of its cage. It can defend itself. (laughs) Sure. Uh, At least that's what I got from it. Well, and and you're right about that. And I think about the fact that the United States' religious freedom and commitment to religious freedom has allowed the gospel to flourish like crazy here in the United States, but also around the world. I mean, the the fact that we had religious freedom was responsible for the fact that the church became this mighty missionary force all across the globe. We never would have been able to do that had we not had religious freedom. So, yeah, I think that we need to consider these things. It's a fair point. It's a fair issue. I think, to discuss among Christians. Now, the other story I wanted to get to, Shane, is very troubling. People may have been following this story about Ravi Zacharias. And yeah, it's a really ugly story. And he was found to have posthumously engaged in some sexual sins that now have really tried, you know, ended up unraveling the ministry. I guess they're changing the name of the ministry. They're going to be removing all of his content. It's really a terrible story, not only on its face, Shane, but the fact that we have had scandal after scandal after scandal over the last many years. I mean, going back to my own dealings with Mark Driscoll, it's just been one after another, it seems, and seems to be increasing. And I 
how do you react to that as a pastor? And how do you reflect upon these stories that keep tumbling out in the news and it's a scandal and it's bringing shame to the name of Jesus Christ and it's depressing Christians? What do you have to say about it all? Well, I'm, I'm there with you because um, I've looked up to Ravi for many years, recommended his resources, have quoted him, and, and we're all kind of in that, dish, that, that shock. Um, however, the, the ability to sin and hide sin is in all of us. Yeah. And that's why I wrote that article, Seven Reasons Why Christian Leaders Fall. And I remind people that we keep our eyes fixed on Christ, never a man, never a person. As disheartening as this is, men will always fail you. And I tell people that in our church as well, as far as don't look to me as the example. I'm just like John the Baptist. He must increase, but I must decrease. And we point people to Christ and not to man. But and what you're saying is, in, in Robbie's life and others, uh, there can, it can happen. People say it will never happen to me. And there's pride in there, or they get too busy, and holiness is compromised, and they're building unhealthy relationships with the opposite sex, and accountability is breached. In all of these cases, uh, you mentioned Mark Driscoll, that was more of a, you know, the, the iron-handed, fisted way of running the church. And when that all happened, I went to our staff and said, listen, if you're seeing any of this, go to the elders. We want full transparency. Uh, the elders can go to my wife and say, how's your marriage? How's Shane doing? How are you doing? If you don't have that open book accountability then you're going to, you know, the enemy, that's a stronghold for the enemy. It's a weakness uh, that he will, he will go into. So that's what happened with Ravi or any type of ministry where you're too big for your accountability and you kind of become, you know, your own, um, I don't know what the right word is, like King David mentality. Uh, only Billy Graham was able to pr- pull that off well, and he had tremendous accountability. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I'm very upset and hurt, but I'm not surprised because taking a private masseuse that you might be attracted to on trips with you. Well, there you go. Bad, bad, bad problem number one. Yeah. Uh, owning massage parlors and going to them with, uh, without accountability. And so you can see the, the, the fall down right. that, or, or how, how each step began. And what surprises me, I think, and you, is there's a history of this. I mean, literally took it to his deathbed. Now, if someone falls decades ago, they say, oh, this is a weakness of mine, an area I've got. And you go to your elder board, you go to your board. Hey, listen, here's my, here's my crack in the armor. Help keep me accountable. And none of that happened. It was almost like a secret sin that was just, you know, um, no big deal. And, well, it, uh, and it, it, it's sad. It, yeah, and I think part of the problem is when you get these churches that are huge or you get these ministries that are huge, now you have a built-in problem, which is people don't want to harm the church. People don't want to harm the ministry. Yes. And if they know something, then they believe wrongly, I think, that if I reveal what is going on, I'm going to be the one to bring down the work of God in this church or the work of God in this ministry. But I actually take the exact opposite view. I think that it's very important for Christians to be as transparent transparent and honest as possible. We above all people know that our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked, and we need our Savior Jesus Christ precisely because we are weak. How do you guard against this in your own ministry, Shane? Because certainly you're in a position where you have to be concerned about your own holiness, your own godliness before the Lord, and your own reputation as a minister. Well, I think if you do, like you mentioned, ShaneEilman.com, Seven Reasons Why Christian Leaders Fall, we took that from our own playbook at the church, um, humbling ourselves, knowing that, hey, these things can happen to all of us if we're not careful. Uh, and then I put, I'm, you know, the I'm too busy syndrome. What happens is they surveyed 270 Christian leaders who fell, and the number, what, right at the top was 
they're too busy to put God first. They're too busy, busy for devotion. Because, see, it's in that time with God in your prayer closet, that devotional, where all this is ripped out. And you become bare before God. You cry out. You repent. And so if that intimacy is lacking, oh, boy, that's a big area for the enemy to come in. Uh, is. Holiness is compromised. Yeah. Um, you know, that come out from among them and be different. So my, mus- my music or my movie choices, and not legalism, but there's a difference. You have to look different than the world. Uh, like, look what happened, just happened with Hillsong, right, in New yes. York. Yep. A friend of mine, I told a year and a half ago, whenever that picture came out with Carl and Justin Bieber, you know, having beers together, I said, oh, it, it, it's already there. There's yep. something already there. So these things start. A person doesn't just jump off the cliff. These are these are steps of compromise over the course of many years. You're right, Shane. God, You're right. God and keep, is merciful. Yep. God is faithful. Just, Shane, we got to run, but people can read your stuff. It's so good. ShaneEidelman.com. Shane, thank you so much for being with us. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. If you are like me, you have been wondering who exactly is running the country now because it's very strange. President Biden somehow managed during the course of his campaign to spend most of his time locked in the basement or hiding somewhere watching TV or napping. We're not really sure where he was, but he would show up now and then, make an appearance and then disappear for days. And sometimes he would resurface and have a campaign event and three people would show up. This is why people are very skeptical as to what really happened during that election. But be that as it may, one of the things that he has been rightly criticized for is the incredible length of time he has gone as a new president not holding a press conference. And what's funny about it is you even have leftists who have been complaining about this and remarking upon the fact that SNL, Saturday Night Live, which made so much hay of presidents over the years. And Gerald Ford, if you go all the way back to those years, making fun of him stumbling and doing silly things, has basically ignored Joe Biden. They're just not commenting on him. Why? Because there's a lack of comedy there? I don't think it's because there's a lack of comedy. And I'm no fan of SNL, to be sure. I haven't seen it in years. But I I can't help but note the irony that this show that made so much hay on the issue of President Trump constantly, Alec Baldwin as President Trump, just has no humor at all to offer the country on the issue of President Biden being MIA. Now, One of the reasons that this bothers me so much is because when you are projecting weakness like this, for whatever reason, that puts you at risk, in my opinion, because the rest of the world is paying attention to the United States and particularly paying attention to how it's run and who's running it. And when the rest of the world, which includes many, many, many hostile foreign enemies is seeing the fact that our president is MIA and the press is saying, why isn't he doing press conferences? Boy, I'll tell you what, if I were a foreign enemy of the United States, I might try something. This is, to me, a national security risk, or potentially so, to have a leader who is not around. And even outlets like, I believe it was CNN, 
reported on the fact that Biden goes to bed early. What? Well, how is that a selling point? If Trump were going to bed early, can you imagine what the fake news media would be screaming about? Trump is not committed to the job and he's not taking his job seriously. All bets are off, though, if it's Joe Biden. And former White House Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany took to Fox Business yesterday with Stuart Varney to criticize President Biden for not having appeared in a press conference in more than 40 days. Listen to what she said. Cut three. Uh, absolutely. The pressure is mounting when you have even left wing outlets calling him out for this. But I would say it's extraordinary that he hasn't taken questions. Certainly 100 year record for not taking questions in a solo press conference from a sitting president. Uh, president. But this is not unprecedented because the basement strategy is what he employed on the campaign trail. He went something like 50 days and he only took questions twice. And when he did, they were handpicked questions. Yeah. Um, so I, I think his yeah. staff does not have faith that he can stand at the podium and have a press conference the way President Trump did many times. They're protecting him. It seems to me they are protecting protecting the president from himself. They don't want to see him stumble over words, get confused, lose his train of thought, as he may well do if he was subject to the rough and tumble of a real press conference. They're protecting him, I think. I think that's exactly right. I think you hit the nail on the head when you mentioned his staff, because as you saw uh, President Biden say right there, he said, I'm happy to take questions if that's what I'm supposed to do. I've seen him joust back and forth in one interaction with Peter Ducey, and he seemed to kind of relish the moment a little. So I don't think this is President Biden saying, I don't want to do this. I think it's those around him recognizing when he does speak, it doesn't always turn out so well, like calling Republicans uh, Neanderthals, as he did recently in the Oval Office. Well, it isn't just that. When we go back to the campaign trail, there was no end to the weird comments made by then candidate Joe Biden. I mean, I could play a whole probably five minute clip of all the weird things he said on the campaign trail from the corn pop stuff to the hair on his leg stuff to the trimmer and out of pressure. You remember that whole thing? It, it, he is just faltering. And for a left that has been completely obsessed of late with the 25th Amendment, as it might apply to President Trump, as to his fitness for office, they're sure silent about it. And I wonder how long it will be before they finally invoke it or somebody finally invokes it and says this man clearly when we listen to him, when we see how out of it he is, when we see how he is not really fulfilling the expected duties that we all expect from a president of the United States, he needs to go. And a lot of us have been saying for a long time, the entire thing is a setup. The question is, who's running the country? Who's really running the country? Some people have said it's Susan Rice. Some people have said that it's Kamala Harris, because she's now talking to foreign leaders like uh, Benjamin Netanyahu and some others. If she's functionally the president, that this needs to be brought out into the open and this needs to be addressed in front of all of the American people, because I don't care which side of the political aisle you're on. Nobody in this country, I would believe, wants to have a president who's not fit for the job mentally. And I feel sorry for the man on a human level. He's clearly out of it. Let me give you an example of this. This was Joe Biden mumbling through some remarks about the American Rescue Plan. This is the $1.9 trillion bill that Senate Democrats passed for COVID without one Republican vote. Listen to what he sounded like when he was speaking on this bill. This is cut four. Economists left, right and center from Wall Street to the to the private private uh, 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 economic uh, polling initiatives. The economists, as I said, left, right, and center, say 
in addition to the needs the people have, we need this to grow the economy. That if we haven't spent this money and recreated the kind of incentive for people to be able to make a good living, that we'd be in real trouble. This will create millions of new jobs. It's estimated over six million new jobs by itself. Increase the gross domestic product by a trillion dollars. Put our nation in a position to outcompete the rest of the world because the rest of the world is moving, particularly China. And to know that as tough as this moment is, there are brighter days ahead. There really are. Oh, my. I mean, that's painful to listen to, isn't it? He, he sounds completely exhausted and confused. And by the way, the content of what he said was no better. Are we really supposed to believe that $1,400 checks sent out to millions of Americans will regrow the economy? I mean, that's like a mortgage payment for most people for one month. How's that going to regrow the economy? And and recreating an incentive to make a good living and create, what, what did he say, millions of jobs? I mean, at least if you're going to make some kind of empty promise, make it somewhat believable. Nobody believes that because you're handing out checks to people that it's going to regrow the economy and create millions of jobs. Give me a break. But again, now I guess he's going to be speaking on Thursday in a primetime address. His primetime address is going to be held on the first anniversary of the COVID pandemic. And, you know, they, they will. it seems to me that's one subject that they like to put him out on, on the issue of the coronavirus, because he just kind of keeps recycling the same talking points about the coronavirus. So I don't know. I, I don't know how this is going to end up. But I think it's interesting that Representative Matt Gates came out over the weekend and blasted the president for the lack of his press briefings and actually suggested that the transition to Kamala Harris as the real acting president has already begun. This was on Fox News and Maria Bartiromo, the host of Sunday Morning Futures, had talked to him. Uh, she had asked the Florida Republican whether a transition could already be underway according to Town Hall, given the avoidance of the press conference issue. While Harris, as we mentioned before, has been meeting with people like Netanyahu and uh, some other leaders as well. And, and she said, are we getting ready for some kind of a transition? And he said, yeah, <laughs> it, it sure seems like that. You have to wonder, he said, whether the transition to Harris has already begun. Joe Biden has had more nap time than questions from reporters Joe Biden has had more attacks on Syria than he's had press conferences. And so you have to ask to the progressive voters, is this really what you expected? Is this what you wanted? A warmonger president like Joe Biden when Donald Trump did so much to bring peace to the world and to actually confront the real threat, China, not to be trying to build democracies out of blood and sand and Arab militias in a desert far away? Good question, Congressman. Somebody needs to bring it up at the next press conference, which will be, oh, it's sometime this month now. We'll see how long that will be. We're going to come back on Janet Mefford today, updating you on the border crisis. It's getting bad, and we'll tell you what's going on when we come back. Hi, this is Janet Mefford for Preborn. Candace talks about finding out she was pregnant. Thankfully, an ultrasound provided by Preborn allowed her to hear her baby's heartbeat. The sonogram sealed the deal for me. My baby was like this tiny little spectrum of hope. And I saw his heart beating on the screen 
and knowing that there's life growing inside, I mean, that sonogram changed my life. I went from just Candace to mom. Thank you to everybody that has given these gifts. You guys are giving more than money. You guys are giving love. Preborn has 10 centers that do not have ultrasound machines. Would you make a leadership gift and sponsor a machine today? These life-saving machines cost more than most centers can afford. Your tax-deductible gift of $15,000 will place a machine in a needy women's center and save countless lives for years to come. To donate, call 855-402-BABY, 855-402-BABY, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Many people in developing nations have no access to desperately needed medical care. That's why Mercy Ships brings volunteers aboard our hospital ship, the Africa Mercy, to give the world's forgotten poor the free medical care they need. We have an immediate need for registered nurses, especially with a pediatric specialty. As a volunteer nurse, you won't just give life-altering health care, you'll receive so much in return. It's an amazingly rewarding experience. You'll give hope and make a difference in the lives of those who have virtually no access to medical aid. It's such a fantastic thing to do. Everybody who I've met on this ship either wants to come back and do it again or they're already here for the second, third, or tenth time. So what are you waiting for? Show mercy to someone today. I would say go for it. Get more information and learn how to apply by visiting mercyships.org forward slash nurses. That's mercyships.org forward slash nurses. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. All right, there is a story out now from Breitbart. A senior level law enforcement source in the Department of Homeland Security has told the site they received verbal orders from within the agency limiting their ability to speak freely about the growing crisis along our border. The official, who is said to have knowledge of the restrictions, spoke under the condition of anonymity because they are not authorized to speak on the matter. The official said the situation with media relations now is night and day compared to the last administration. No kidding. We have been advised not to speak on immigration issues at the border and to rely on the DHS's Office of Public Affairs and the White House Press Office to handle messaging. Right. Keep everything under wraps. That's kind of their policy. The verbal order applies to senior law enforcement leaders within DHS and has no formal expiration date. It comes as the administration is struggling to manage the growing crisis caused by changes in border security and immigration policies leading to a spike in illegal crossings at the border. And as local communities along the border continue to grapple with the release of migrants into their communities, the administration is facing criticism even within its own ranks. Now, one of the examples of people who are on the left side of the aisle, that is their Democrats, who has been upset about this is Representative Henry Quayer from Texas. He criticized the Biden administration over this border crisis, saying that they are withholding information. This was part of what he had to say on Fox. Cut one. When you're the president, you own the situation, whether it's a success or not a success, success it's going to own it. I think in February we're going to get about 100,000. Uh, and again, I don't care what we call it, but I can tell you this. Uh, those numbers of people that are being released, they're purposely uh, withholding that information. They've been told not to withhold that information. I now know that they're bringing people from McAllen over to Laredo 
processing them in Laredo, and they're going to release them in my community. I represent uh, the both areas, uh, uh -huh. uh, the valley and, of course, part of the valley in Laredo. And, and I, I've seen this before. Don't let the local community know what you're doing, where they're starting to bring people in from the valley, uh, process them in Laredo, release them at a bus station. And again, I've seen this, uh, this uh, before in the past. That's crazy. And in another interview, he said the Biden administration has to consider the people on the ground who are affected by this illegal infiltration. This is cut to. In fact, I've uh, told the, the folks that I talked to at the White House, let's be cautious. Uh, in my opinion, what the White House needs to do is they cannot only listen to the immigration activists, uh, advocates. Uh, they also need to listen to the communities on the border that I represent, the mayors, the judges, the NGOs down there. And with that, you can come up with a balanced approach. Uh, otherwise, who's carrying the burden of all this, uh, uh, everything we're seeing down there at the border, it's not the people that live 1,500 miles away. Those are the people that live in my community right at the uh, at the border. And people need to remember, um, it isn't just the people in the United States who have been here all of their lives who object to this. There are many people who have actually immigrated here from Mexico who are mad about this stuff too, because they did it the right way. They did it legally. They got in line. They made sure that they did everything on the up and up. And they're really mad. In fact, some of the Mexican immigrants to the United States have some of the strongest voices about the outrage they feel concerning illegal immigration. And how can you tell me that this was just accidental? You know, did you see that over the weekend? Some of that footage of these people in their Biden let us in T-shirts. Who's funding those T-shirts, by the way? Who's paying for those T-shirts? I really don't find it normal that you have all of these people wanting to come into the United States and they have an organized t-shirt campaign. They just kind of got together. They're so desperate to get to the United States, but somehow they can put together a t-shirt campaign. Hmm. Me thinks somebody was involved in that over here. I don't know who. I would never want to venture a guess as to who would pay for the t-shirts, but when it smells fishy, there are probably some fish around. By the way, more than 100 illegal immigrants released into Texas by U.S. Customs and Border Protection uh, tested positive for COVID-19. I just wanted to remind you of that. We talked about that a few days ago. But this is very important for us to know. Felipe Romero, who is a spokesman for Brownsville, Texas, told the Epic Times that 108 migrants tested positive for COVID-19 since January 5th when the rapid testing began. And that's about 6.3% of the total undocumented individuals who are rapid tested at the bus station. And he said that the city has no authority to prohibit COVID positive migrants from traveling in the United States. OK, well, President Biden, when you stand up and you give your primetime address on Thursday, perhaps Perhaps you'd like to address why you just love masking us all and putting down federal rules on airplanes and everywhere in federal buildings that you have to wear a mask and you're going to be in big, big, big trouble if you don't. And everybody's COVID's got to control our lives. But oh, by the way, if you're an illegal alien, just come on over. Oh, you have COVID? Oh, that's OK. We don't want to seem hateful because that would be racist if we actually worried about a disease that kills people coming across the border. Meanwhile, we'll make sure that all the Americans who are already here continue to be shut down and prevented from sending their kids to school and maybe wearing triple masks. Who knows? It's an outrage. 
And I'm sick and tired of when you have an outrageous situation that only one side of the political aisle gets blasted for it. And the other side of the political aisle is just ignored. Business as usual, because we love the agenda. So we're not going to report. It's you know, it's like the DNC is running the entire country and all the media, big tech, etc. Going back to this Breitbart story, this verbal order, by the way, that these people at DHS are not allowed to talk about what's going on on the border. Uh, it's designed to prevent senior leaders from shedding light on the immigration situation that currently plagues the administration. Over the weekend, the DHS secretary and Biden's director of the Domestic Policy Council, good old Susan Rice. Susan, it was a movie, Rice, visited several Texas cities to see the situation along the border firsthand. Where's Joe Biden? Why didn't Joe Biden visit the border firsthand? Members of the press were not allowed to be present during the delegation's visit to Border Patrol stations and a Health and Human Services unaccompanied children's detention facility. That seems a little weird to me. What do you think they would have said about Trump if Trump had sent some of his people down to the border and members of the press were not allowed to be present? What would they have said about Donald Trump had he refused to give any press conferences within the first 45 or so days of his administration? Do you think he might have received some criticism? Of course. Do you think he might have received some criticism for military action in Syria right out of the gate? I think probably he would have received some criticism for that. But actually, he was a huge peacemaker overseas. He stopped ISIS. He got kudos for what he did in Jerusalem and recognizing it as Israel's capital, even though all of the naysayers on the left said, oh, you're just going to incite the Palestinians and there's going to be war in the Middle East. And there wasn't. And he brought together Arab countries, uh, to, you know, in order to support Israel. And we know about all these things. He was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize, uh, rightly, unlike Barack Obama, who did nothing and got it. It's, it's like a big rigged system, isn't it? What's more, Governor Abbott in Texas, Greg Abbott, announced that Texas launched Operation Lone Star to respond to the border crisis. He put out on Twitter that it deploys National Guard and DPS officers and air, ground, marine and tactical border security assets to deny Mexican cartels and smugglers the ability to move drugs and people into Texas. And perhaps worst of all in border news, this really bothers me. This is via Fox. The Supreme Court late last week dismissed a number of cases testing the Trump administration's plan to withhold law enforcement grants from cities that refused to cooperate with DHS efforts to deport non-citizens arrested by local police. The court, which hadn't yet decided whether it would hear the cases, acted shortly after the Biden administration and state and city governments in New York and California jointly asked the justices to dismiss the pending appeals. Lower courts in New York and San Francisco had reached varying conclusions on the Justice Department's authority to withhold funds that Congress had authorized to assist local police departments. And the city attorney in San Francisco said, we're glad this issue has finally been put to rest. Federal officials can do their job in San Francisco, just like anywhere else in the country. But we were not about to let our police, firefighters and nurses be commandeered and turned into the Trump administration's deportation force. Makes you sick, doesn't it? So the sanctuary city cases are dropped by the Supreme Court following a request by the Biden Department of Justice. How is that justice? How is that? Kate Steinle, anybody? You want to go back to that? Shall we talk about the, the effects of illegal immigration on the lives of American citizens? No, we're not allowed to talk about that. 
No, no, no. We have to cancel Pepe Le Pew and Dr. Seuss. But we're not going to talk about Americans who have lost their lives because of illegal immigration and the determination of these leftists to allow this to go on. And until the American people really rise up and protest and stand against it and make their voices heard, it will only continue to go on. And that's really going to be bad for our country. So continue to pray and let your voice be heard. You don't have to just sit and listen. You can actually take action as a free American citizen, and you should. We're going to have to leave it there. Thank you for being with us on Janet Maffer today. We'll see you next time.